This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly. This is Todd DeVoe, your host, with a special guest, Steve Detweiler, from, well, right now he's working in Miami um, in emergency management. So, Steve, why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit yourself and what you do and uh, your background. Well, um, I like you said, I work in Miami right now. Um, I work for the Miami-Dade County Office of Emergency Management. I'm the technical title I have is the whole community recovery planner. Um, basically, I'm responsible for the recovery program that includes working with the state and the federal government when we have a federal disaster declaration and public assistance and individual assistance are involved. I also get involved in the maintenance of the recovery plan and the 12 recovery support functions that we have as well as the post-disaster redevelopment plan, and also are working with our uh, regulatory and economic resources department on the maintenance and update of the comprehensive development master plan, which is basically our uh, more or less our urban planning, our urban plan for the county. Um, I'm also responsible for the public-private partnership for Miami-Dade County. Um, that includes uh, working with our private sector partners before, during, and after a disaster. Um, it mainly involves sending out information on the base, communicating with our partners, letting them know what's going on, training them to be better prepared for disasters, and also maintaining ESF-18, which is our business and industry seat within the emergency operations center. I'm also responsible, or I share that role with my counterpart, I'm the infrastructure branch director for ELC activation. So I'm responsible for uh, basically our infrastructure-related agencies such as public works, solid waste management, um, regulatory and economic resources, uh, our parks and open spaces department, our, our ESA team, uh, Florida Department of uh, Transportation, um, basically the agencies that make sure that we have our overall infrastructure impact or recover as quickly as we can. Uh, this includes like our power companies, so Florida Power and Light, and also our water and wastewater uh, agency, which is um, water and sewer department for Miami-Dade County. Wow, and you have a, you have a lot of hats on. So, <laughs> so a couple of conversations that we've had in the, in the past, <clears throat> and uh, I, I kind of want to get into that. And then I want to delve in a little bit more about the public-private partnership and how that helps out with recovery. Um, but I want to start off with what do you think the future of emergency management is and specifically with some of the education programs and, and whatnot. And kind of give your, your background with the IAM a, a little bit, and it's the International Association of Emergency Managers, uh, kind of what, some of the work you've done with, with them and the education process. Okay. Um, well, in terms of, in general, in terms of the future of emergency management, it's probably going to go more towards um, a lot more planning a lot more resiliency, especially resiliency planning, is probably going to be the biggest issue that we deal with in the 21st century. Um, climate change, whether you believe in it or not, it's going to happen. Miami County is especially vulnerable to climate change in terms of sea level rise, temperature increases. Um, we're already very, you know, in terms of South Florida, we're very proactive in terms of that we don't, we take it very seriously. Um, we've had Certain age, or certain municipalities are, you know, either elevating their whole city or elevating parts of their city or, you know, as in Jason Miami Beach, they're buying pumps so they can pump out the seawater uh, in terms of storm surge, in terms of high tide that come into the city. We're already experiencing some of these effects now. Um, so it's really going to be more tied to the profession. The profession is still going to continue to respond and recover to disasters, but it really needs to start shifting, and I think you'll start seeing that shift, saying, okay, what 
put more effort into disaster risk reduction, let's put more effort into recovery, and also, more importantly, mitigation. Um, when you talk on the international level, they, in their word for mitigation is really disaster risk reduction it's, uh, or resiliency planning. It, it kind of goes very fine line in terms of those. And you know, when you talk about that, a lot of EMs will say, oh, you're talking about mitigation. Um, but it's in terms of building up our infrastructure, building up our systems. Um, a common example would be the 100 cities, uh, resilient cities initiative with the Rockefeller Foundation. They've been, it's not really, not precisely an EM program, but the Rockefeller Foundation's program is more designed to increase the resiliency of the city overall. That includes being prepared for crime increases, um, food shortages, water shortages, um, growing as a city and being able to do adequate urban planning to accommodate new populations coming into the city. So it's kind of a whole, for the coin of phrase, is a whole community approach to not only just disasters, but also the regular growth that comes into the city. So I think you'll start seeing the profession heading in that direction. Um, we'll still be very busy because there's always going to be parts of the country that are behind other parts. You know, Florida, as you can imagine, has always been very proactive in terms of emergency management. It's kind of interesting in terms of climate change for us. Um, the, usually the cities and the counties are usually very proactive about it. We take it very seriously because we're, most of us are coastal counties, especially we're major population centers such as Miami, Jacksonville, uh, Orlando's the exception, Tallahassee's the exception. But most of us take it very seriously because we're going to be the first ones to feel it or are feeling it now. Um, but in terms of the state, they're less proactive about that. Um, it's more in terms of politics with them, uh, whereas opposed to us, it's more about necessity. Um, but that's probably where you'll see a lot more, uh, you know, like in ter terms of training, in terms of profession, kind of more of an emphasis on that. For IEM, for the International Association of Business Managers, I've been involved with them since, I think, 1999. Uh, don't quote me on that date, but um, I started out, we didn't have student members back then. Um, it was just, you know, you joined the association. I was very active in the association for a lot of years. Um, I served as a chair of our bylaws committee for a couple of years. I served as a chair for the, what's the access and functional needs committee for a number of years, as well as a co-chair. I've always been very active in the association. I served on the Government Affairs Committee, so we were when we were dealing with a lot of the issues post-Katrina, um, I, I was very active about the committee in terms of helping out. Um, you know, we were, as a committee, we were putting together testimony for Congress, uh, for the Katrina, you know, in terms of what happened afterwards and what, what are some of the best examples and, providing testimony on when they were first coming out with the National Recovery Framework or National Response Framework and NIMS. Um, we were providing a lot of that. I was also on, when NIMS was first created, IEM put together basically a special committee to not only look at the documents, but also provide expertise and comments back to the association. Basically, as more or less the association's subject matter experts. So, me as well as a number of other emergency managers down that community, and we were basically the experts uh, in relative term to um, the association. We would provide comments back, and then we would also provide comments to FEMA. So FEMA would come to us and say, well, what's the local emergency management perspective? And we would be responsible for commenting on the document and giving comments back to FEMA in a timely manner. Right. Um, lately, I've been doing... I kind of taken a step back in terms of the committees only because I've been doing it for so long. Um, more dealing with um, the IEM dispatch, which is their new e-newsletter. So every Tuesday I get an email and I provide articles for posting on that as the editor of the Emergency Manager's Weekly Report, which is what I've been spending a lot of more, more of my time on than I have in previous years. Um, only because it's, it can take up a lot of my time. Um, and in terms of education, 
one of the things I've seen in the profession over the last probably, oh, probably 10 years is more of an emphasis on ed education. When I first came in the profession, most of the, the jobs that are out there just required a high school diploma. Right. Only a couple required kind of a college education. I was lucky. I had a college education. I came into it. And then over the last 10 years, I've seen the transition where everybody was requiring a college in like college education. And the number of schools, when I first started in the profession, there was probably less than a handful of colleges that actually offered an EM degree. And that has, of course, ballooned <laughs> over the last 10 years. And now there's hundreds of programs out there of varying sizes all over the world um, offering, you know, bachelor's degrees, associate's degrees, master's degrees, and then, of course, PhDs. I'm working on my master's degree right now only because I've started to see uh, more of a transition. A lot of the jobs coming out now are starting to ask for either preferred or, or required a master's degree. So right. I'm trying to keep up with the, the changes in the profession myself. So. What I find interesting is, um, I obviously, just most people know, but I'll, I'll clarify it again, I, I do teach at a community college, a coastline community college in Orange County, although we are uh, an online um, program, so we are nationwide international. We do have uh, students from the military as well. But I have seen like this really big jump in the master's programs, and we have a, a few of the associate's programs, but there's really that that middle ground of a bachelor's degree that's that still needs to be shored up. And, I'm, and I don't have an answer to, to why that is, and we've had long conversations um, about that. There's only a few programs out there. There's some pretty really good, there's some decent programs out there, but there's not mm -hmm. a lot of bachelor's degrees. I always found that kind of kind of interesting on the education side. So as far as the education, and, and what do you think that the students coming out with a degree in emergency management or homeland security, or sometimes they're a combo class, combo degree. But what what are they lacking when they come out of school and they get into the field? Uh, probably the biggest thing is experience. Um, most, you know, like speaking as somebody who once was a supervisor, um, thankfully I'm not one anymore. Too much stress for me, but. Um, it's probably big is an experience. You know, they come in, they have their degree, and then some of them do take the extra initiative and they, they hustle. They they go out and they volunteer for a cross or they, you know, intern or, you know, they might pick up a little work here and there from other agencies or they go and consulting and do something like that. But a lot of the kids that we get that are coming in, uh, say, interns for, you know, our office or other offices, is they have no experience whatsoever. They're... they're green as can be, and the, I, I think it goes back, and no, no offense to the schools, but I think it goes back to the really the schools. I mean, they're kind of focused on, you know, getting their degree, which is important, and I know it's very time-consuming, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, but they don't really, I don't think they really give as much thought as giving the students an opportunity to get some experience as well. You know, um, I mean, I went through that too when I went through school. Um, <laughs> the interesting thing with my school when I went and got my bachelor's degree is when I told them what I wanted to do with, for my for a living, they didn't know what that was. <laughs> so there's an educational piece of that. I had to kind of tell them, well, this is what it was, and they really still didn't understand it. And most people don't. I mean, the funny story is in terms of I asked my little cousin, you know, what I do, and he's like, oh, you're the safety guy, right? No, not <laughs> and that that's very common. My my it took my family years to figure out what I do, you know. And really, the 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 light bulb went on with them when they saw me in television. We were doing I think Hurricane Charlie or Francis. They're like, he's on TV, and they kind of got an idea of what I do and why I'm so busy and we have an activation. They they were like, well, why aren't you answering us? I'm like. I'm working. Right. right. <laughs> that was the territory. Yeah, I've been married. Um, I've, yeah, I've been I mean, I've been with my wife for uh, for 20 years, and I think sometimes she doesn't know what I do. So <laughs> it's yeah. funny. The biggest thing with the the colleges, I mean, there's probably some opportunities. You know, some colleges are have EM offices that take care of preparedness for the campus. 
and I'm starting to see a lot more of that. Um, uh, that that's kind of the more growing sector. Most of the colleges have started realizing, okay, we need an emergency manager on campus. We can't just have the public police chief do that. It's a whole other discipline that we need to do that. And a lot of these campuses are really taking it very seriously. You know, because of that, there's also a lot of, some of these schools actually do have a degree program in EM, and you have all these students. I'm like, you know, grab them and get them involved in the program and, you know, maybe make them temporary student employees. Give them a job. I mean, the internship helps. Give them an idea of what's going on. But when you go out into the real world, it's not going to, it's only a little bit. It's only a small slice of the pie. And employers are really looking for that real experience, that real world experience. So when you're interning, sometimes you get a chance to really shine and they throw you into the deep end and you really get a chance to really learn a lot and sometimes you're not so lucky. Um, so, I mean, they really want that kind of real world experience. And I think the colleges really need to, you know, figure out a way to kind of do that, to kind of step up and say, okay, we need to make sure our, our students are more prepared for the real world. Um, and like, and some of the students are, they take it seriously. They know what the what the stakes are. They step up. They're volunteering for a cross. Um, they're going on disasters. They're part of the volunteer fire department. I mean, I was a volunteer fire firefighter when I was in college. Right. It didn't really, in terms of getting a job in EM, but it gave me some idea of what goes in in terms of emergency services. So I I understand that part of that. Are you familiar with Team Rubicon? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, the only the reason why I ask is um, I know Team Rubicon uh, does a great job um, with getting volunteers on the ground, really getting them hands-on experience managing disasters, and I think that's a it's mm -hmm. a really great um, organization for those that want to be emergency managers to really to get involved in because they do uh, respond uh, internationally too in some cases, but. Uh, any of the larger oh, yeah. scale disasters around the United States, I think it's a uh, it's a good program. So anyway, yeah, they have. Um, I just got. I somebody told me they have uh, Operation Hermes over in Greece right now. They're providing assistance at refugee health clinic. Yeah, so they're actually yes. over there right now doing that. So yeah, but anytime we have a big disaster, you always see you know oh we have Operation so and so responding to this tornado or that hurricane. So I mean they're a pretty they're a pretty diverse group. Um unfortunately I've never worked with them. I, I haven't had a disaster yet where I've had Team Rubicon come in. Um when I was in FEMA they were active but when I worked in Orlando they hadn't gotten involved yet. They haven't built up yet. And it wasn't until when I got to FEMA they, they were starting to really um, build their program. But fortunately, I, I unfortunately haven't worked with them yet, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. Yeah, I've had the opportunity to work with the guys um, on a couple of uh, on a couple of occasions. They're a really good group of, of uh, guys and gals, uh, both. <coughs> Excuse mm -hmm. me. Um, yeah, so I just... I just saw that as, as an opportunity. And it's funny because a lot of people think it has to be a veteran, but it's it's not that that way specifically with them. But they're uh, they are a lot of veterans guys, and they, and they definitely have uh, uh, that uh, you know go go get it uh, mentality with that organization. So, but they they are a good group of people to learn from for sure. You know, so we actually with the um, Operation Hermes, uh, I'm going to be interviewing one of the doctors um, in these upcoming episodes uh, regarding uh, that um, uh, that event over there and what they do uh, as far as that goes. So, oh, yeah. Well, the cool. other thing too is like the number of NGOs that have. When I first started the profession, there was maybe like a handful, or not a handful, but there was a good number of NGOs that we work with. There were like the larger NGOs, but now. You know, because the disasters have just, you know, we've seen a huge spike in the last couple of years. And the number of hurricanes we responded to, and they're getting bigger, they're getting stronger, um, and, you know, tornadoes and whatnot, the number of NGOs have just spiked. You know, we got NGOs, I mean, I, I've responded to my share of disasters, of course, and every time I do, you know, you have NGOs coming out of the woodwork. You even heard of them before, and they're, like, knocking on your door and saying, hey, we want to help. So, I mean, they're out there. Just a question of the students going out and finding them and doing that. I mean, it might be just a question of the, the universities kind of partnering with some of these guys and, you know, saying, hey, we want to, you know, partner with you to 
get them involved, uh, get our students and more involved, or maybe have a chapter here on our campus, and you know they run it and they do deployments in the area or with you guys. I mean, it, there's different opportunities. There. It's just a question of getting them to do it and right. kind of seeing the need for that. Well, the Red Cross does does that. They're really good at having those. Well, you know, they have the. Uh, uh, college chapter Red Cross uh, groups and stuff, and I know mostly they mm-hmm. they kind of run the uh, the blood drives and stuff like that. Seems to be what they do, but yeah. they they do more than that, and they can do more than that. So that that is a really good idea as far as universities and colleges having uh, clubs, disaster clubs, and you can even do like the campus cert programs. Uh, those are kind of yeah. getting popular as well. You know, uh, I know that there's been some universities there's pushback regarding cert programs, which I really find kind of interesting. And I was actually talking to a college administrator regarding a CERT program in Orange County, California. They they were resistant of having their students be disaster responders. And and I didn't really say much. I just kind of shook my head a little bit and, and went on my day. But you think about this. I mean, these are the these are these kids that are in college are the same ages of kids that are you know joining the Marine Corps and the Army and the Navy and whatnot and responding to you know, things all around the world. And as soon as you turn 21, you could be a cop or a firefighter. And these, some of these guys become cops and firefighters. And some of them are working as EMTs and paramedics right now, you know, out in the world to get their self through college, you know, and it just kind of makes me laugh a little bit that, Oh, well, we don't want the students to, uh, to have to, it was a, it was the person I was speaking to was actually a, the resident director of, of uh, one of the, uh, universities. Uh, and you know, they didn't want their students to be responding. They, you know, they want to make sure that they're taken care of, you know. So this made me laugh a little bit, so. Well, I mean, you, you know as well as I do that, you know, like in, in terms of work, being an emergency manager on a college campus is def, is instantly different than being an emergency manager for jurisdiction. Yeah. And I, I've, I've known a few EMs that work in that environment, and they always tell me, yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> it's completely different. You have to look at things a different way and approach the professors and administrators in a completely different way because it's, you know, not a priority to that. They have a hard time understanding that. I actually had a professor one time tell me directly that the safety of the students isn't his responsibility. And I kind of shook my head at that one too. I was like, "Wow, so that's that's that's, that's completely our responsibility, you know." When we're running the classroom, yeah. that's <laughs> we, we, you know, that's yeah, we're responsible for that classroom. I don't know what I'm yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just you know, I, I just walk around all day long. I don't know. And now, a word from our sponsors. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related, or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed Tac Med. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff of High Speed Tac Med will help ensure that you're ready and are in complete compliance. Call High Speed Tac Med today, 805-419-0024. Again, that's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe, the host of EM Weekly's podcast. If you're trying to reach people in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we are bringing in guests from around the world to talk about best practices and trends in emergency management and response. We also have the blog on EM Weekly's website and the EM Quarterly e-magazine. For more information, please email Brian at brian at emweekly.com.
Ian Weekly is a division of the WEMT Institute. Welcome back from the commercial. So what, what kind of what, what kind of jobs do you see? I mean, I know, you know, everybody who goes into emergency management, I should say everybody, vast majority <laughs> of people, always think of, you know, working for a city or a school district, maybe uh, some sort of municipality, uh, maybe a fire department, police department, whatever. But what, what kind of jobs else do you think that are out there uh, for people that are interested in becoming emergency managers? Um, well, I'm, I'm going to laugh into, it's not a really political analogy, it's just kind of an observation in terms of somebody who's been in the profession for like, um, probably like 17 or so years. Traditionally, you know, I started out as a consultant. I actually worked as a consultant for like two years, and I worked in D.C., so we, we were working with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, uh, FEMA, we worked with the District of Columbia, and then we also did a little bit of work with the Office of Homeland Security in the White House before it became the Department of Homeland Security. So historically, in terms of consultants, because right now consultants, there's only a few consultants. There's only a few businesses that actually do consulting. There's a lot of smaller ones, but like the larger ones where I used to work, there's only a couple that have left these days because a lot of that, you know, especially, and this is where the political side gets into play. In terms of EM, generally speaking, in a broadest sense, usually the Democrats are more apt to hire a large EM bureaucracy like FEMA, like local government. They, they like to hire government employees for that. And then usually the Republicans, they kind of hire... They like to keep government, of course, very small, and they like to hire consultants to supplement that. So it's kind of, we're waiting to see how this plays out. And, you know, I, you and I talked about this in terms of the new female administrator. It depends on who the new female administrator is going to be. Um, obviously, when Administrator Fugate was there, he had, you know, a key, big, uh, big rebuilding program for FEMA. And most, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of consultants in headquarters or in the region. There's a couple. Um, did, you know, like I worked in Region 9 for three years. So we had, you know, we did use consultants um, from time to time, but it wasn't, it was just kind of supplementing because we were already, already busy. We didn't have the time to kind of work on this plan or work on that plan, but very minimum. Um, so it's going to depend. So, I mean, consulting is a good way. You know, like the bigger firms, like I said, they will take you in when you first get started, and they will work you to death. <laughs> but <laughs> it's good because you, and you pick up a lot. I mean, a lot of the folks I got started with, that's what happened to them. I mean, we had we had one who was actually in, in coming into the company where I worked, and she was had a background in environmental sciences. They said, "Oh no, you're going to be emergency management now," and she she. Grab hold, and she held on, and it wasn't her cup of tea, but she enjoyed it. She got bit by the bug, and she's still doing it today. And that was so oh, close to like 17 years ago, and she's wow. still doing it. it. It just depends on where we see profession goes. I mean, if we see kind of more of an outsourcing from the federal level, uh, we'll start seeing that. But they start pushing out, and a lot of that, a lot of that is tied to the grants right now last couple of years, grants have been kind of shy. They haven't really had a lot of grants. Um, they've been pulling back a lot of the grants because the idea was with the grant programs for like Homeland Security and whatnot is to fund it for such a time and then let locals and state take over. Um, so they're trying to do that. It just depends on what happens over the next couple of years. We might see more of a return of grants. We might not. So if there's like a, a, the biggest spike I see is we see a lot of grants coming out then you see, start seeing a lot of consultants being hired because we're already inundated, especially at the local level, and sometimes we don't have time to work on these projects. And we still use local, we still use consultants here, but it's a different kind of consultant. So usually the federal government will hire a big consulting firm and locals and states, they'll hire local firms. They're usually smaller. Um, they're not the big boys, obviously. They're not like SRA International or Booz Allen. They're smaller firms, you know, that can handle, you know, because the bigger firms, they, they like multi-million to our contract. 
the smaller firms, you know, but when I worked in consulting, uh, we had, oh, we were a small firm. We had probably a couple, like at least 150 people working for us, um, but we were doing work for the Corps of Engineers, so we would do what was then called their catastrophic exercise program. We would go out to all the divisionals for the Corps of Engineers, and we would do like a tabletop exercise that would include the Corps of Engineers, the district level, the division level, the FEMA region, the states, and it was a big to-do in terms of exercising the Corps' responsibilities during disaster in terms of their authorities and also the federal authorities as well, such as Stafford Act. So, but that was, that you learned a lot. I mean, I still know people today that I met back then, and they've gone on to other things, and sometimes they stay in the profession, sometimes they don't. Most of them have. Um, so, I mean, they'll, like I said, they'll work you to death. They'll, they'll put you to work, and you learn a lot in a very short amount of time. It just, it really just depends on, you know, the politics in terms of who's in charge and whether or not there's a lot of grants. And if there's a lot of grants and, you know, there's kind of a downshift in terms of, you know, we need to make government smaller, so we need to hire more consultants, then you'll start seeing more of an uptick in these consulting firms. Um, that's probably the biggest, that's probably the easiest way to get in it. Because most of the consulting firms, they don't, you know, for like entry-level jobs, they don't, they don't hire saying, well, you have to have someone's, you know, like five years experience. You're like, you're a warm body. You can learn, get in there and go do it <laughs> a lot of times. Right. And that's the thing. And that, that's why I always hear some of the, the you know, like the, the students I mentor, and I kind of steer them in that way. Not, not late, lately because a lot of those guys have been drying up. Um, but in general, that's what I kind of push them towards. And, you know, some of like the government jobs, they really require a couple of years of experience. There are a few entry-level jobs that open up, but I always tell the students that I'm dealing with, I said, you need to be prepared to move. You know, it's nice if you want to stay here in Florida, but you can't depend on that. Right, you right, to, right. You have to go, if there's a job in Canada, or not Canada, but say Alaska or California, you go. And you take that job. Hey, man, there could there could and, be some good jobs in Canada with like some of the oil companies and stuff like that, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you need to be willing to move. And some of them really are kind of. Well, I want to stay around here. I'm like, there's no jobs around here. If you stay around here, you're going to be competing with 20 other people that have more experience than you. You need to be willing to move. You need to be willing to go where the jobs are. And that's the biggest kind of uh, pushback I sometimes get from students is they they don't want to move. They're like. You got I know it's, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money. You know, if you went into this profession thing, you're going to make a lot of money and you made a mistake because we don't make a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, not, it's not for the money we do this, but, you know, and some of, you know, when you first get your first job, you're not going to be making a lot of money. You're going to sometimes be living paycheck to paycheck, but, you know, you're going to earn your stripes and you're going to move up the ranks and you're going to get better pay as you get more experience and you do more. And, you know, I've always been a fan of telling these students to go out and, you know, find somebody, you know, go to Canada, or go to Canada, go to California, maybe do international, but get that experience because when you, it helps you in the profession. If you are an emergency manager in Florida all your life, you only know the Florida perspective. If you've done work in Virginia, you've done work in California, or done work in Denver, you'll learn a lot more. There's Everybody does things a little bit differently, and you deal with different hazards, and it gives you a better perspective, gives you a wiser perspective, and you can a lot of times apply that to other disasters as well. Right. And it also I mean, you know, makes you more versatile. <clears throat> we, we have that here just in, in California, where Northern California is completely different from Southern California, and even in, in SoCal, it's different from county to county. You know, um, yeah. I'm sure it's that way in NorCal, too. You know, so it's Florida. We have like Southern Florida. Southern Florida is, of course, very urban, and you know we basically are the urban center of the county or the state. And then you know what a lot of people don't understand about Florida is they think, oh, we're all like Orlando, we're all South Florida. No, probably like ninety percent of the state is mainly rural. Mm -hmm. You know, you go outside of South Florida, it's basically farmland and swamps, (laughs) and that's it. And our population is very sporadic. It's not a, you know, except with the exception of, say, Jacksonville, South Florida, Central Florida, and Tallahassee and 
is a population center that's really not a big population center. It's very small compared to the other population centers of Florida. Um, and most of the other state is just rural areas. You know, it's, it's, and most of our emergency management programs, with the exception of South Florida, are very small staff. I mean, sometimes, on average, you'll see maybe two people in an emergency management office at the county level, and that's it. I mean, we're an exception. We have about 17 in our office. So right. we're one of the bigger ones. But, like, when I worked in Central Florida in Orange County, um, they we had, like, six. And that wasn't enough. We had a population of 1 million people. It was, still wasn't enough to deal with all the stuff we needed to deal with. Yeah, it so, seems to be that uh, we're, we, we always feel like, I guess, we're understaffed on, on a lot of this stuff, you know? All right, I want to roll back yeah. a little bit here. And this kind of kind of does fall into the conversation that we're having. So we, you previously talked about the public-private partnership, and then we're talking about um, just right now with the um, consulting firms. And then I'd like to throw in there the nonprofit organizations that do, or and also volunteers, I guess, like the CERT programs and whatnot. How do you see all of those programs working in on the recovery side of a disaster? When I teach my class, because I teach recovery, and I tell my, my students, I'm like, look, at, I said, this is where the work, for me, this is my opinion, and I, I know that you work mm-hmm. in the recovery section, this is where the work really starts to happen, because once we put our fire trucks and our police cars and all that kind of helicopter stuff coming around and the news media has gone away, I mean, we still have people to bring back to be as close to whole as possible. How do you see yeah. those organizations working in the recovery, since you are in the recovery section? Um, well, it's, it's a combination of things. There's, there's two basic kind of modes that I see. There's the, what, a lot of times it's mixed match, but there's the BOAD concept, which is a volunteer organization active in disaster. And then there's the COAD, which is a community organization active in disaster. Um, a lot of the programs I've seen over the years have really gone more to the COAD. And uh, Los Angeles is an example that comes to mind. Uh, they actually, you know, they have, like, their business EOC, but their business EOC is really just a co-ed. It's really what they do is they bring in their community organizations, their social services organizations, and they all have a seat in this business operations center. And they have their businesses, like their development councils and whatnot. Um, so that's kind of the piece with that. In terms of Miami accounting, we do things a little bit differently. Um, we're actually one of the only, or we're the first county in the state to kind of develop the recovery support function. And the recovery support function is based on the federal national disaster recovery framework. So the feds have their recovery support functions, and it's really, that's more dealing with long-term recovery. It's when the declaration has, you know, they've basically done all the PA, they've done all the IA. And now we still have issues going out there, and we need to figure out how to do it. And now we have to get creative in terms of funding, in terms of approach and whatnot. And they've had some success with that. Um, so what we did for Miami County is we developed a similar plan and the recovery support function. We signed usually a county agency, a lead agency, and then they have a support agency. So similar to the emergency support function. And then we're still, right now, we just got all the recovery support functions signed, and my goal for this year is to start doing tabletop exercises and exercising those plans and kind of weeding out in terms of how we're going to respond. But the idea is that we would have the recovery support functions. They would work in what we call the recovery operations center, which nine times out of ten is going to be like a it's going to be a, the virtual environment. So we have our own web EOC board specifically for recovery with the positions, and they would call in uh, probably every week or so, depending on the size of the disaster, and we would activate the recovery plan normally during the intermediate recovery period. So short term is when we transition from response to recovery. We're starting to shut down the EOC. The intermediate is when we start ramping up the recovery operations there. So they would, you know, operate, you know, they would dial in a conference call. We would do situation report uh, depending on, you know, how active they are. So it could be every day, it could be every week. And then we would do an incident action plan, what we call a recovery action plan. We set up our priorities and objectives for that operational period. And the operational period 
course, could be, you know, every 12 hours, but more likely it's going to be maybe every week or every month. Uh, just depends on what we're dealing with. And then if we had something go wrong or need to transition into long-term recovery, then we would activate the preliminary uh, post-disaster redevelopment plan, and we would transition the recovery support functions into technical advisory committee. When we get into that level, it's more of a political issue because the technical advisory committee is going to be recommending actions to the county mayor, and the county mayor is going to be making decisions about what we want to do because the the only time we would really activate the post-disaster redevelopment plan is if we had an Andrew, but Andrew hit further north and hit Miami directly and wiped out the county. Um, that's the only time we really would activate the PDRP because that's really basically a catastrophic disaster, and now we have to rebuild the community from scratch. Right, right, right. Um, right. Hopefully we never have to do that. <laughs> I'm hoping we never have to do that. I, I don't want to be here when we do that. That's, that's going to be a challenge for sure. Um, but and, and, and that's the, the, For California, that would be that the, uh, you know, 8.0 earthquake on a San Andreas Fault, which would really rip, you know, the, the California a lot, and, and would be a lot of that going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, you know, like what I was saying, with the recovery support functions for our private sector partners, we have a RSS economic, which deals with the private sector. It's basically led, is right now led by OEM, but we really have um, our Economic Development Council, which is our Beacon Council. They're quasi-government. They get some funding from the county. Um, they're basically in charge of bringing businesses in and retaining businesses within the county. So they're going to be working with a whole host of different private sector partners, mainly like our Chambers of Commerce, our Small Business Development Center, a couple other organizations that make sure we're putting in place policies to say, we need to keep the businesses here. If there's a disaster and, say, one industry is wiped out, how do we retrain those employees so they can still find work? Or how do we help the businesses that no longer have a market for their product? How do we re how do we re-engage them so they can find something else they can sell right. and they can continue making money, um, which is a lot more challenging work. I mean, it's... It, if, it, if it's not challenging, it's not really fun <laughs> right. in terms of being uh, being an EM. Um, a lot of times people look at us when we say stuff like that and say, there's something wrong with you. And, yeah, and, and just, just, to, just to clarify, <clears throat> I know, I know it's as far as that goes, is people do think <laughs> we're crazy when we're like, yeah, we want it to suck some more, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, I, I do, just, to, just to clarify for, for people that may be listening to this, you know, that have not a lot of experience in emergency management, but a lot of your um, economic um, issues that occur after disaster aren't, we're not talking about retooling a Target or a Walmart type thing. It's the small um, mom and pop uh, shops, small manufacturing companies that are out there uh, that get devastated. And, and realistically, statistics say if you can't get your business up and running um, within a week after a disaster, you're probably not going to open shops again. And uh, that, yeah. that's bared yeah. out ac across the country. Yeah, and most of our businesses in Miami-Dade County are predominantly small businesses. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that. And then there are not only small businesses, but a large share of our businesses are actually agriculture-related. Because a lot of people look at Miami-Dade County and say, do you have agriculture? I'm like, yeah, actually we have agriculture. Um, basically the whole half of the lower part of the county is basically farmland. So we grow, I don't even know how much stuff we grow, but we, we have a huge agriculture industry, and that's a major industry in Miami-Dade County. So we work a lot with our agriculture extension because they're kind of our, they're edge of our, uh, edge of, uh, tip of the sword in terms of working with our, you know, growers and whatnot, distributors. Um, they're going to be dealing with the state agriculture department who in turn deals with the Department of Agriculture in terms of requesting declarations. We had one uh, end of last year for excessive rains that we had. We had a, um agricultural declaration, an SBA declaration as well, so we work a lot with them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for us, we deal with more in terms of we have, like, our ESF-18 which is in the EOC, and then they deal with the response side of the house. They're, 
pushing out information to our businesses to say when we're opening, when we're closed, when we're evacuating the county or when we're evacuating parts of the county. And then when we have a recovery plan gets activated, they transition into recovery or RSS economics, and then they're dealing more with policy development. They're not really dealing with pushing out information and sharing information. They're really dealing with, okay, what do we need to do to get our economy back up and operational, and what can we do? Um, the biggest thing, I mean, we dealt with this for, you know, like Zika. Uh, Zika was rather unique because it's a little weird, um, but SBA and, you know, this this has been learned for the H1N1 pandemic. SBA will not do a, an SBA declaration for a public health emergency. It's not within the scope of their laws or their authorities and their program. They can't do a declaration for that. So we were kind of like, okay, well, what else can we do? We have like an emergency bridge loan for the state, but they won't do it because the emergency bridge loan is more of a stopgap measure until we get an SBA declaration. So we had to get creative. We actually had one of our smaller organizations kind of step up and do an emergency grant program for some of our businesses that are impacted. Fortunately, you know, like they, they, they had some impact, and we definitely saw like a big dip in certain areas, especially in the one of the areas, the Wynwood area um, that was under quarantine, Miami Beach had a little bit, but fortunately it wasn't too bad. Once the warning was lifted, they started bouncing back. Um, some of them had higher impacts, but we were lucky this time. But that's probably the biggest thing is in terms of, you know, if the SBA is not available, what do you come up with? And we had to kind of put our heads together with our other economic partners and say, okay, what can we do? Right. So real quick here, I'm going to ask you. So there's a thing that we use in the military. Uh, it's called task and purpose. And it's kind of what your job is and, and, and how you function, that type of thing. So I'm coming up <clears throat> with my own type of thing here, and I like to call it the three points of purpose. So for for emergency management, what do you think the three points of purpose are for um, for for you? In terms of three points of purpose, um, probably the biggest thing for me is sharing information, being of assistance to colleagues. Um, and then new employees or new members of the emergency management profession, um, and then also, you know, uh, gaining as much experience as I possibly can in terms of the profession. So uh, I'm I'm always looking for the next kind of opportunity or next kind of um, challenge. I mean, I'm happy where I am right now, and I don't plan on leaving anytime soon, but, you know, you're always kind of hungry for, okay, what can I do next? What can I learn that I haven't learned before. And sometimes that's, you know, personal, you know, for the, you know, I, I mentioned before I do the emergency managers weekly report. A lot of that is I do those kind of efforts through that entity. So, you know, I push out a lot of information to the profession. And that, of course, has ballooned in to not only EM information, it's also ballooned into hazard, it's ballooned into you know, what's going on on the other side of the world in terms of international affairs, global security, um, public health, uh, climate change. So, but the the thing is, I'm always a big fan of, you know, just because something happens on the other side of the planet doesn't mean that it doesn't have an impact here at us at home. And all these different investments are always interconnected. If you look deep enough, there's always some kind of connection with that. I mean, if we have like a terrorist attack over in Europe, we're going to start seeing ramp ups for security here at home. Right. And there's always going to be stuff going on, even if it doesn't impact us. But there's also things we can learn. So there might be something the Europeans did that we never considered. And we was like, oh, I never thought about that. We should try that and see if that works. So there's always like interconnectivity with that. But I think those are probably the three biggest ones for me. That's awesome. So sharing information. You know, let me just break it down here real quick here. So we got sharing information, new challenges, and learning from others. That's awesome because that's that's really what it's all about. Uh, I was talking uh, to the the president of the university where I currently work, and uh, we had a meeting, and he asked me, um, <clears throat> you know, what was the meeting was all about, and I said, well, so this is all a bunch of other schools, and we get together before disaster happens. And, you know, so we're not changing, exchanging uh, business cards the day of the disaster. 
And, um, mm-hmm. you know, when we stand patch to patch, is what we used to use, the term that we used with the police department, to stand patch to patch. So we like to say touching patches before the disaster. And uh, that's that's exactly what everything is. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you'd like to like to add before we go? Because I, I already had you here for a bit, and I want to make sure I'm using your time wisely. Um, in terms of, like, in the profession, especially the new people coming in there, I mean, I'm going to do a shameless plug here. Um, I'm not getting any money for this, obviously. Uh, but, of course, I mentioned, like, the Emergency Manager's Weekly Report. If you want to know what's going on in the profession, I, I do my darndest to kind of push out as much information as I can, and I'm very strategic about what I include and what I push out. I usually push out information that has some kind of impact on the profession. You know, it's not just regular news saying, oh, this person retired or this person, you know, they just have their mitigation meeting. It's something that either has an impact on the profession or maybe changes the dynamic or it's a new program. It's like, oh, we didn't think about this. And, oh, I didn't even know about them doing this. And maybe I can call this person and find out more about that program. So I'm, I'm always pushing that information out to kind of help, especially the younger generation, because, you know, for emergency manager, information is power. Information is necessary. We have to know what's going on. We can't be out of the loop. We have to kind of, sometimes we have to be a little pushy about it with our other partners and say, okay, if something's going on, you need to tell me. Right. <laughs> I need to know because I need to brief the bosses and I need to brief the elected officials and appointed officials because they're asking me and I need to know. Um, so I always try to make that a point. So, I mean, if there, if there's young emergency managers out there that are like, well, you know, how do I need to, how do I keep up with what's going on? You can easily sign up, or you can easily, you know, go on Facebook, social, uh, Twitter, um, Google Plus, and LinkedIn, and look up Emergency Managers Weekly Report. And I have like all those social media pages, as well as the weekly publication that goes out as well. And that'll have a combination of everything you possibly can need. And you know, I try to. I don't get everything, obviously, because you know I'm not a computer, but I try to <laughs> get as much information as, as I can in there and jamming in there, and hopefully there's something in it that they enjoy. And we'll, and we'll put links to that um, in the show notes as, as well. So if you're looking for this information, okay. it'll be down in the show notes as well. That's awesome, Steve, so much. Well, thank you so much for being here um, on this uh, on this. Well, for us out here in California, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, winter day. <laughs> and uh, for the rest of the country, I don't know how, how it's doing. Um, but you will be hearing this in the spring, so I guess it will be, it'll be better for everybody. Um, and it was so much, it was so great talking to you again and, and sharing information. And I'm excited about uh, having you here, sir. Everybody, that was Steve Detweller with Miami-Dade County Office of Emergency Management. Great guy, great resource. And again... Emergency Manager Weekly Report is the product that he puts out, and it's a great place to start. So again, thank you for joining us at EM Weekly, and until next time, stay safe.